John, John chapter 3. Slides are up there. Uh, the title for today's sermon uh, is Unboxed. And uh, throughout the sermon, uh, hopefully we can unravel what that means. Um, but we're going to start in John chapter 3 in a very, actually, a very uh, well-known passage by, by some of us. Uh, it's a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Amen. So it starts at verse 1, and it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Amen. So John 3.16 is well known. Amen. Maybe one of the first verses that, that some of us that grew up in church or even are new to church uh, might have learned, might have memorized, right? Um, but this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus uh, intrigued me. And I wonder, why did Jesus respond the way he responded to Nicodemus, right? Because it almost seems like Nicodemus, he says one thing and, kind of, and Jesus kind of redirects and takes the conversation in a different direction. Um, and so, yeah, so there's this conversation between them. Um, the word Pharisee means separated ones. And though they considered themselves holier than thou, right? they considered themselves to be... Um, experts in the law and experts in, in, in tradition, um, but they were also the people's champs, so to speak. Uh, they brought worship to the common folk in synagogues where, where other sects of Judaism, 
They, they pushed for worship at the temple only. The Pharisees appealed to the every, everyday common Jew. And in their desire to explain the law of Moses as practically as possible, they came up with their own definitions for the parameters God has set. We see an example of this in their interpretation of how to keep the Sabbath, right? In Matthew chapter 12, Christ's disciples are picking grain because they're hungry, and the Pharisees challenge Christ, and they, they ask him, what, what's that about? You're breaking the, you're breaking the law. What are you doing? Uh, they, they came up with, with impossible requirements and put burdens on the people, burdens that had nothing to do with the spirit of the law. I, I bring this up to, to give some context as to where Nicodemus might be coming from, right, when he approaches Jesus. Um, and I'd also like to make a point and zoom out on Judaism as a whole, right? When we look at the story of Abraham and how God dealt with Abraham, when we look at um, Israel as a whole, from Abraham to Jesus and into the present, the Jewish faith has been most evident in the flesh. For example, circumcision, quite literally, in the flesh, right? The practice of sacrifice and all the other laws they were meant to keep. The Jewish faith is best seen in action and behavior, this is what God had given the people of Israel as markers to distinguish them from other nations, to serve as signs, to remind them of the God who devastated Egypt and walked them through desert, who in the physical and natural world, through signs and wonders, revealed himself time and time again. But these signs and practices were never meant to be the destination. They were meant to be exactly that, signs. Signs that point back to the heart of God. Which is why time and time again we see that God acknowledges that Israel is keeping up with practices, but their hearts are far away from him. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, he says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. In the book of Corinthians, Paul asserts, Jews look for signs, Greeks seek wisdom. So the search for God in the natural, right, um, the search for God in, in the flesh was such a big part of how Jews had come to know God, and it's how they expected their Messiah to show up. And Nicodemus confirms this when he approaches Jesus saying, we know you have come from God, for no one could do these signs, right, unless God was with him. The people of Israel thought they had God figured out. They had this box and in this box, this is where God fits, and this is how God is supposed to do things, and this is how God does things, right? And then comes Jesus. Working signs and wonders, but also speaking of this kingdom that nobody else could see. And so this throws Nicodemus completely off, and it threw everybody else off too. Nicodemus, along with everybody else, they saw signs. They saw the wonders. They saw the miracles. And he brings it up to Jesus. But when he does, Jesus redirects. And he says, one can't see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Jesus says, like, like, like signs are cool. I'm glad you see them. But they are means to an end. And you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Nicodemo le pregunta, le, le trae este, uh, 
se presenta a Jesús y, y, y le dice, hemos visto las señales, ¿verdad? hemos visto los milagros. Y Jesús le dice, pues, uno no puede ver el reino de Dios en les, al menos que, que nazca de, de nuevo. A mí se me hizo interesante que, que cuando Nicodemo habla de las señales, uh, Jesús como que no, no en realidad toca el tema, sino que habla del reino de Dios y que uno no puede ver el reino de Dios al menos que nazca de nuevo. Jesus redirects and says, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Um, and to which Nicodemus uh, responds, how can one be born when they're old? Jesus, like there's, there's a natural order to how the world works. You can't be old and then born, right? Can, can someone enter their mother's womb a second time? And I just, I, this is side note, but I found it interesting how Jesus kind of addresses and, and changes uh, the conversation based on Nicodemus's verb usage, right? At first, Nicodemus implies that he's seen signs, and so Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Then Nicodemus, when he asks, well, how can someone enter their mother's womb a second time? Jesus then says, well, you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born of water and spirit. I just found that interesting um, that he kind of responded according to that. And then Jesus goes on to make the distinction that flesh breeds flesh, right? So none of the things that, that the people of Israel till, till now had relied on, had looked to, uh, to worship God, um, they were not bad in and of themselves, right? This is, these were the practices they had, um, sacrifice, uh, the law, keeping the law, and, and, and in their desire to worship God, they, they did the best they could with what they had, right? But sometimes, and, and I don't know about you, but as human beings, sometimes in order to feel in control, in order to, to have a better understanding, a better grasp on things, sometimes we can add, and we can be what, we can, what the kids call nowadays, right, extra. And anybody heard the kids say that recently? Stop being extra, right? The people of God at that time were being extra. The Pharisees added rules and regulations to better explain, to better have a grasp on how to keep the law, right? And so when we see Jesus show up on the scene, um, It almost, and he would buck against what the Pharisees would teach. It almost felt like, Jesus, are you breaking the law? And Jesus was like, no, I'm not here to break the law. I'm doing away with all the extra stuff you guys are talking about. I'm here to fulfill the law, right? In Jesus, we have the fulfillment of the law. God gave these visible signs, signs of the flesh, But the kingdom of God cannot be contained in flesh. It transcends action. It transcends sign. It transcends wonder. It transcends practice and tradition because although these things can be good, when they serve God's purposes, they can never replace God himself. Say that one more time. Although these things can be good when they serve God's purposes, they can never replace God himself. And so, church... Liturgy is great, but liturgy is not God. Prophecy is great, but prophecy is not God. Bible knowledge and proper theology is great, but theology and Bible knowledge is not God. Spontaneous worship is great, but spontaneous worship is not God. These things 
can be good when they serve God's purposes, when they draw us back to God, right? When we are standing out there and we're raising our hands and maybe some of us are weeping, some of us are standing there receiving and listening and pondering and reflecting on the words, it's great. But this, this, that in and of itself is not God. It is who are we pursuing in that moment, right? Whether you lift your hands and you're a crier, whether you, you stand and you receive, who are you pursuing in that moment? Who are we thinking about? Cuando adoramos al Señor y levantamos nuestras manos, algunos levantamos manos, otros se, se, se paran ahí calladitos y reciben. Pero en ese momento, ¿a quién estamos, ¿en quién estamos enfocados? ¿En, ¿En qué estamos pensando? Amen. Who are we pursuing in those moments? For, for, for me, I, I know that the Lord has really had to check me um, in not always having the right answer. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. But so much of, of, of me growing up was church, 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 and, and, and just believing. And I, I knew because I knew and I had faith as a kid, right? And then suddenly I was, I was you know, out in the world after high school and people were asking me questions about my faith I had no answers to. And, and it, it shook me. I, I did not like not having answers, right? And that sent me on, on, on another journey. Right, of, of, of doing research and stuff. But it came after my journey. It, it brought me to a point where the Lord really checked me and he was like, you don't need to have the answers. Stop trying to fit me into your box of understanding. Stop trying to fit me into your box, box of, of you trying to have control and understanding and grasp. You can't. You, we can't fit God into a box. Amen? And so having proper theology and, and good answers and um, being able to, to have, you know, Peter calls us to have reasons for why we We have this hope, amen? But if we are found in a situation where we might not have the answer in that moment, it's okay. God is still God. Amen? These things can be good when they serve God's purpose, but they can never replace God himself. And is that not what has been God's desire from the beginning? To give us himself. The Pharisees failed in their attempt to provide, right? They, they, they're... they're Desire was to provide more practices and more checklists and add more rules and regulations to the law. Jesus, on the other hand, gives us himself. We read that in John 3, 16 and, yeah, 16 and 17. Not breaking or doing away with the law, but fulfilling it and giving freedom, true freedom, to those who once were slaves to sin. In the person of Jesus, we can bear fruit. In the person of Jesus, we can bear fruit. Fruit, fruit that cannot come from rule keeping alone. And if anybody knew about rule keeping, it was Paul. And in the book of Philippians, if you want to turn there or it's up on the slides also, um, I think this, this passage really just emphasizes this, this contrast that maybe we're seeing between um, all the stuff, all the boxes that we want to check and, and truly what is at the heart of Christianity, the person of Jesus, right? The God that we serve is a God who gives himself to us. And so we can be over here and do all the checklist stuff. I came to church, I prayed, I read my Bible. Good, great. Sometimes we can find ourselves doing church things and doing God things and not actually be pursuing God himself, right? And so 
In the book of Philippians, Paul touches on a lot of these subjects. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in who? Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Uh, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, Paul was a gangster. (laughs) But whatever gains... To me, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. For the sake of who? Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing who? Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul's like, you want to flex, you want to flex. Okay. He said, let's pull out the resumes. He says it's all garbage compared to knowing Christ, compared to knowing Jesus. If anybody, if anybody had the right to boast, if anybody wanted to flex, Paul was the guy, right? In verses 12 and 14, he says, that he has not obtained all this yet, though. And I wonder if sometimes we want to limit God and box him in, not only with a religious checklist, but sometimes with our own weaknesses, with our own failures, our own shortcomings, like, like, I got to get this figured out first, right? Like, yeah, I I gave God this part of my life, and I gave him that part of my life, but, but this over here, I, I got this, right? Paul says he doesn't pretend to have obtained it, but one thing he does is forgetting what is behind and moving forward. Who are we moving towards, church? Who are we moving towards in all aspects of your life, not, not just the pretty stuff? I think we need to stop pretending like God needs us to be pretty and polished to come to him. Hmm? Those weaknesses, those doubts, those fears, yeah, that, that stuff, the ugly stuff. Christ died so you don't have to fix that on your own. So church, give it to him. 
Stop trying to fit God into your box. We show up on Sunday morning with our Sunday smiles, right? Where, where, where in your life? When was the last time? When was the last time you were honest with God? When was the last time you were honest with the mirror? When was the last time you cried out and asked God and invited God into the broken parts of you? Show of hands, any perfect people in the room? Hmm. So what are the parts? What are the parts that we hold back on? It's like, God, like, yeah, I, I got to figure that out. I'll, I'll bring it to you later when I when fixed it, and then that way I can present it to you so it's all nice and polished. No, church. Stop trying to fit God into your box. He, he, he can handle that much better than you can. Much better than you can. Can the church talk about trauma? Sometimes, and I'll touch on it only, only to say this, that sometimes we don't even know what questions to be asking. We don't even know what parts of us are that broken. We just kind of do life. This is what I know. This is what I've been taught. This is how my childhood was. This is what... What are the parts of us that need to be born again? Right? Nicodemus show up talking to Jesus about signs and like, this is all cool over here. Jesus, you're doing miracles. So we know that you're coming from God. And he's like, no, you got to be born again. Scripture later tells us, renew your mind. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit didn't come to just dress us up for Sunday. Right? Like, like Jesus didn't come just to make us look pretty for Sunday morning. Born again means something new. Amen? And we find that in the person of Jesus. So I don't care if you've been in the church 45 years, four years. The same God that you met all those years ago is still working in you and can still heal and can still restore and can still redeem. You are not too far away. You are not too old, too far gone. Well, that, that, that part of my life, you know, I guess that is what it is, you know. No. Oh. God is active, and God calls for rebirth, not just acknowledgement, not just intellectual assent. Rebirth, church. Something completely new. So, of course, for, for us, in, in, as we do life, right, and, and as human beings, we want to compartmentalize everything. The message of the cross in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Jews look for signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
signs make sense, right? I see something miraculous. I'm drawn to it. Cool, right? For others, right, it, the, the intellectual conversations, the philosophy, the theology, it makes sense. And I, I, can, I can get God that way. I and mean, personally for me, that's, that's the journey I feel I've been on. It's like, oh, this is what it means. That's what God is, right? And I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up in a context that was very much charismatic, very much uh, what they call spirit-led, right? And now I'm at a reformed church. <laughs> and, and at first there was this tension of, is it, is it this or is it that? You know, and I, I know that, that there's been plenty of conversations, Liz and David can tell you, right, that we've had over, you know, after, as soon as church is over, we'll go talk, and, well, what about this? Well, this happened in service, what, what about that, Right? We all come from that same context. And it's been an amazing journey of knowing, right? And for me, personally, the takeaway has been God is that big, right? God is that big. God is not confined to Pentecostalism. God is not confined to the Reformed Church or to the Lutheran Church or to the Baptist Church. God is just that big. Amen? Jews seek Signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And I think the more we go through life and the more we learn to surrender to God, we realize that all the stuff that we try to put together ourselves might have fit in our hands and maybe we felt in control for a moment, but that stuff never got fixed. That trauma never got healed. That real stuff, right, the transformation actually never happened. I just put it all together myself and presented it to people. And it's like, oh, look, this is what it is. This is who I am. God's like, no, only Christ crucified, Christ risen can actually transform and have the impact in you and in your family and in your community. That signs and wonders, wisdom, intellect, denomination can't have. Only Jesus can. So what are the boxes we're trying to fit God in? What are the things that we try to check off our list? We can be really good Marthas sometimes. But Jesus said that Mary chose the better thing. You guys remember that story? Martha was doing a lot. Right? What did Mary choose? Jesus. Christ did give the ultimate sign, though. John 3.16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Himself. Can I pray for his church? God, you are good.
God, we thank you that more than just checklists, more than things to do, more than just practices, God Almighty, in you we find the person that loved us so much that he gave his life so that we could have life. God, there, there is there's so many things in us that, are, that feel dead. But Jesus, this morning, we, we give it all to you, God. Our past, our present, our future, the hidden things, the things that we aren't, aren't even aware of yet. God, we are your people. We are your children, Lord Jesus. You have gathered us. You have called us to yourself. You have chosen us. You have drawn us to you, Father. And you promised, Lord, that you will complete in us the work that you started. And so I pray, God, that your peace would, would, would take over. That your peace, God, would, be what, would, would guide your people, Lord Jesus, through life, through the everyday, the mundane. Teach us to surrender. Teach us what it means to be born again, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you song, God Almighty. We give you our voices. We give you Sunday mornings, Lord. We gather to honor you, to, to praise your name, Lord Jesus, but that in the middle of it all, God Almighty, of all the things that we do, that we would not lose sight of you. As, as parents continue to parent, and students continue to learn, Lord Jesus, at, at school, and employees continue to work, Lord Jesus. Send us, God Almighty, send us into our community, send us into our places of work, of school, and that they would see you in us. We pray for Imago, Lord Jesus. We, we thank you, God. We pray for Pastor Carlos and Charlotte, Lord, and the boys, and ask that you bring them home safe. God, uh, we look to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.